It is great to be here. And I'm really excited about sharing my testimony. This is really the only, the second time I've shared my testimony beginning to end. I did it last year, uh, in Amarillo. And so I'm excited about it. I know Pastor Robert did this. And I know James Robinson did it last week. But, but let me just kind of share about, you know, where I came from. And of course I'm from Amarillo, but I was born in Wellington, Texas. I don't know if anybody knows where Wellington, Texas is. But my birthday is Monday. So, uh, October 8th of 1953, uh, I was born in Wellington, Texas. Really nothing remarkable about my birth except I was supposed to be a girl. And uh, I have two older brothers, uh, Damien and Lucifer, and they uh, <coughs> be... My mother, after bearing them, did not want any more boys. And so back then, now, you didn't know what you were going to have until you had it. So she was absolutely convinced that I was going to be a girl. Uh, did not choose any boys' names. My name was going to be Debbie, uh, Debbie Evans, Debbie Dale Evans to be specific. And so when I was born, uh, she was gravely disappointed that I was a boy and, and didn't name me. And so when my mother left the hospital, I didn't have a name. Several weeks went by, still didn't have a name. And uh, they could not fill out my birth certificate. So the hospital called my mother and said, if you don't name this boy today, we're going to name him Baby Boy Evans. And that's going to be his official name. So under duress, my parents named me Jimmy Dale Evans. Now, for those of you who are younger, you may not understand the significance of the name Dale Evans for a boy. But uh, when I was a young boy growing up, Dale Evans was a big country western star. Unfortunately, she was at the pinnacle of her career when I was growing up. And so that'd be like calling some uh, a boy Britney Spears or, you know, like Faith Hill or something like that. And so... Uh, when I was growing up, God in His mercy made me a large child. I was uh, taller than my second grade teacher. And so uh, we, uh, I didn't generally have problems with kids my own age because I was bigger than all of them. But, but I remember one time there was a, a boy about two or three years older than me and he called me Dale Evans and all the you know, other kids giggled. And so I, I knew I couldn't whip him. So I said, if I give you a quarter, will you not do that anymore? And he didn't. I paid him a quarter, best quarter ever spent. He stopped calling me Dale Evans. But... That was really the only thing that was tragic about my birth, is that being named Dale Evans. Uh, and nothing really remarkable about when I was a little kid. My brothers tried to kill me two or three times, but that's no big deal. You know, that was just kind of part of the deal. So when I was uh, growing up, we went to a church. My parents, now they're wonderfully saved people today, go to church. But, but they didn't go to church back then, but they sent us to church. And the church that we went to, and I'm not trying to be unkind, I'm, I'm just being, uh, you know, uh, informative, it was dead. And I don't ever remember hearing about Jesus in church. I never, I never heard the name of Jesus, as far as I know, when I was growing up until I was 13. And I remember listening. And, and as a little boy, I had real deep thoughts about God. When the little girl was sharing her testimony about dreaming and God speaking to her in her dreams, I remember thinking, as a, about a six, six or seven-year-old boy, where did God come from? And I just thought one day to myself, I just, where did God come from? I, I thought one day to myself, what if I'm living another life and this is a dream and I wake up and realize I was dreaming? And I used to have very, very deep thoughts about life and existence and all those, those kinds of things. But when I went to church, I didn't, I didn't understand the preacher. I really, and then I'm not trying to be unkind. I don't know that anybody did. He wasn't very good. And, and he, but he just didn't say anything, and, and I listened intently. And the people in Sunday school, and, and I, what a wonderful church Gateway is, and the children's ministry is so fantastic. 
But, but back then, I mean, we just, we sat in a classroom and they just, they didn't enjoy us. And, uh, and especially me. And I, I just, I remember feeling as though that they didn't like me. Um, they, they had to be there with me. And so in our family, when you turned 13, you didn't have to go to church anymore. My oldest brother, when he turned 13, he just didn't go anymore. And my parents didn't say anything. My middle brother, when he turned 13, didn't go anymore. So when I turned 13, it was glory, hallelujah. And I decided I wasn't going to go to church anymore. And it was, it was freedom because I just, I just hated church. And I didn't hate God. I just hated church. And I made my mind up. I'm never going to church again. And so I, I was in seventh grade and I played football. And after football practice one day, I was walking the, down the street to go home. And another kid on the team stopped and we started talking and he became my best friend for like six years. And he was a Baptist. And he said, hey, why don't you go to church with me this Sunday? And I said, oh, no, no, I don't go to church. And I don't have to do that anymore. And he said, well, you might want to come to my church. And I said, I can guarantee you I don't want to come to your church. And he said, well, you want me to tell you the girls that go to my church? And he named off a lot of cute girls. And, and so I converted to being a Baptist right there on the spot. I honestly did. I was a Baptist for 12 years after that. And so that day I became a Baptist and went to church. And I mean, it, it was, he was telling the truth. It was great. And uh, so really enjoyed church uh, from that point forward. I honestly did for that reason. I mean, he could have been a Hare Krishna. I would have converted. It didn't matter. But so that summer, that next summer, he invited me to go to summer camp. And um, I didn't know what summer camp was. And, and he, I said, what's that? He said, well, you go for a week and you kind of have fun during the day and at night they preach. And I said, really? And he said, like, it's like $20. And I said, why would you pay $20 to go here preaching every night? That's terrible. And he said, you want me to tell you what girls are going? And I, and I went for five years to that camp. And I, it was phenomenal. And... So I remember the the first year at camp um, that the preacher, he's a great Baptist preacher, a young young guy, and he preached the gospel, and I'd never heard about Jesus. And, uh, I mean, that I knew of, and I'd heard about Paul and Peter, and I knew some of the apostles, but, you know, that I heard of them. But he started preaching about Jesus. I had never heard that Jesus died for me. I'd, I never knew that God loved me. I mean, I'd never heard that stuff. And he did a great job of preaching the gospel. And, and I don't know how familiar you are with Baptist camp, but, but they kind of preach every night, and the last night's the big night. And so they got to the last night, and uh, this, this preacher was preaching the gospel. And when he got finished, he gave an altar call. And he said, you know, if you want to give your life to Christ, come down to the front. And they started playing music, and, you know, all the kids were kind of, you know, and I know immediately some of the girls went down because they're, they're so open to God, but all of, all of us guys were being a lot cooler than that. And so, and I was popular, and I was kind of a leader in school, and so the, one of the leaders came back to me, and I was on the back row, I was a good Baptist, I was sitting on the back row, and he came and sat next to me, and he said, Jimmy, you're a leader, and the other boys look up to you, and if you'll walk down the aisle, uh, other boys will go with you. And I remember, and, and, and I'm not saying this is right or wrong, I'm just saying it was my response, I didn't like that. Because I didn't want to walk down the aisle for somebody else. I, I wanted to do it if it was real. And if it wasn't real, I wasn't going to go down. And I remember sitting there thinking to myself, no, I'm, I'm not going down the aisle to make anybody else happy. I, I don't know that I'm really wanting to do this. And I remember walking outside. I just turned around and walked outside. And I was out there by myself and it was pitch dark. It was in New Mexico at night. And I remember standing out there by myself, and God was, you know, God was dealing with my heart. 
And I remember I looked up in the sky and I said, I believe in you. Because I did. I believed in him. But nothing, nothing changed me. And uh, that year was the same as all the other years. And, and let, let me say, you know, I was very, very wild. Um, junior high, especially in high school, very, very wild in church every Sunday. I sang in choir on television every Sunday. And the, the night before, we would have done terrible things. And I mean, just everything, immoral, drinking, everything you can think of. I didn't have a conscience. I mean, I literally didn't have a conscience. De- definitely, my low point as a Baptist was when I got thrown in jail in Mexico on a church choir trip. And uh, that was definitely my low point. And I just, Baptists don't like two things. They don't like dancing. They don't like you getting thrown in jail in Mexico. And I, I did both of them. So I'm telling you, they don't like that, just in case you're wanting to convert. But I, I went, I was a Baptist all during those years, and, and I was immoral, and I, and, I, and I was proud of it, and uh, just very, very wild. And, but, but at 16 years old, I met Karen. Now, Karen and I had gone to elementary school and junior high together, but we were baby boomers. We had 770 kids in our graduating class, and so we didn't know each other. But, but I met her in high school, and I just thought she was gorgeous. I mean, when I saw her, I was struck with her the first time I saw her. She was dating some jerk senior, and he was just an idiot. And I had to, we, we, he was, you know, this big super jock, and she wore his letter jacket. And every time I walked into biology class, that's where we met. You know, I had to kind of walk around him, you know, and it was was really pathetic. But I remember all year long, I just looked at her, because she sat in front of me. I always sat next to the teacher. I don't know why, but I was always next to the teacher. So I sat next to the teacher, and I remember looking at Karen, and, I just remember thinking how beautiful she was, and that I just I liked her. And, and she broke up with this guy during that year, and I asked her out. At the end of the year, of our sophomore year, I asked her out to a three-dog night concert. That kind of tells you how long ago that was, about 1969 or something like that. And uh, I asked her to go out to a three-dog night concert, and she went with me, and, and we, you know, we hit it off, and, and we started dating regularly. That, that did not mean I was faithful to her, because I was not. That just meant she was faithful to me. She was a really, really nice girl. The thing, I like everything about Karen, but, but she was pure. Now, I'd never been around a pure person before. I cussed. And, I'm, and when I say this now, I hope for all the young people here, I want, I want to say clear to the young people, my greatest regret in life is how long it took me to come to Jesus. I so regret all the years of sin that I spent because they're wasted years in my life. I deeply regret it. There was nothing glamorous about it and nothing good about it. But I remember when I met Karen, she was pure. She didn't cuss. Uh, she was nice all the time. I was not nice all the time. And I, and I loved her, but I was, I was not good to her. And um, she went to Young Life. And uh, so I went, started going to Young Life with her. The, the leader of Young Life was great. He was, he was a sharp young man, very articulate. And every time we went, he would preach the gospel and, and talk about Jesus. I loved hearing about Jesus. And uh, he would talk about Jesus, and I never, I never made a decision. Uh, they would give an altar call, and I would never make a decision. This is another thing that I'm not proud of at all. In fact, I'm, I'm very ashamed of this. Uh, but I remember um, the times that I read my Bible. I had a little Bible called Good News for Modern Man, and, and I didn't understand it because I was lost. And, but I remember... I would go home, and a lot of times I was drunk or, you know, had done something really bad. And, and I remember I would go home, and it would be laying on the table next to my bed. And I remember opening that little Bible, and I would read it. 
And the only thing that I, because I didn't understand it at all, but the only thing I knew was I liked Jesus. I loved hearing about Jesus. Preachers would preach about Jesus, and I was fascinated by Jesus. And I read that little Bible. Anything I read, Jesus, you know, Karen reminded me of Jesus in the Bible because she was good and Jesus was good, but it never changed me. And I was very popular. Um, I always had friends. I always had people around me. But I remember when I would go home and lay in bed how lonely I was and how empty I was. Uh, You know, and some of you know what I'm talking about, but I could be right in the middle of a group and be lonely back then because there was something empty in my heart. I had had friends. I had about ten very close friends that I'd had since elementary school and junior high. And when I say close, I told Karen, my friends come before you, don't ever come between me and my friends. I had an unhealthy relationship with, with my friends. We were very, very close and did everything together. But I remember, you know, being lonely even in the middle of a group. And let, let me also say this to all the young people here. Several of my friends are dead now of alcoholism or different reasons. Uh, you know, when you're young, it seems cool, but it's not. And it catches up with you. Um, my friends that I know of, of, of the friends I had back then, I only know of one of them who's serving the Lord, and the rest of them have had some manner of tragic lives, as, as far as I know, as from the reports that I've had. One of my friends that I, I grew up with and did a lot of really bad stuff with, we were in an airport about five years ago, and this, this, this guy is a very nice guy and a successful guy today, but we saw him in an airport, and it was he and his wife, and I knew his wife also uh, from, from back then, and when we saw him in the airport, we began to talk to him. Now, they, they are not saved. They don't live for God. And Karen and I were standing there talking to him in the airport. And as we were talking to them, I could, the, his wife was staring at us in our faces. You know how people stare at you. You know when you're getting stared at. And so I was talking to him, but I could feel her face just, you know, staring at me like this. And then she turned and started looking at Karen, you know, just dead in her face, staring at her. And here's what she said uh, when, he, when I finished talking to my friend. We turned to leave and she said, you guys look so much better than us because you've lived for God. We have not lived for God. We've partied all the way since high school. And all the people that we know who have partied, we look so much older than y'all and we look so much worse than y'all. You and everyone we know look so much better than we know, those of you who live for God. And, you know, a person might think that, but you don't think they would say that. But it was true. They didn't look good. I looked at my friend, and, and he looked 10 or 15 years older than, than me or the, you know, a lot of other people I knew because they just partied. And that sin catches up with you. And I want to say to all the young people here, or maybe some of the young adults here or whatever, it may seem cool when you're young, but it catches up with you. And we buried friends who thought that partying was good, but ultimately it physically killed them. The alcohol killed them. Or the party and killed them. Or if it didn't kill them, it just, you can see the death inside of them. But it was in me, and there was an, uh, an emptiness inside of me. And so, uh, you know, I met Karen in high school, and, and we dated through high school. She was a very pure person, a very good example to me. I was not at all a good person. I was not good to her. Uh, in fact, it was a miracle that she really kept dating me. By the way, her parents hated me, and this kind of gives you an idea of how much. They used to bring boys over to meet her while I was there. That, that's a tip-off right there. That's, that's kind of when you get, you know, the message that they don't like it. They hated me. 
And, uh, and I had feeling was mutual. I didn't care if they liked me or not. And I, and I, and I said, look back at it, and I regret that. I mean, I was just not a good person. So I graduated early from high school, and I went to uh, Texas Tech. And Karen and I, during that period of time, I loved Karen. I mean, I really loved Karen. And at college, I did a lot of really bad stuff. And so I moved back to Amarillo and started going to Amarillo College, and Karen and I decided to get married. And uh, so my life was not any different, and I still had all my friends. We, we ran around all the time and did all the bad stuff we'd ever done. And Karen and I, our anniversary is May the 11th of 1973. We've been married 34 and a half years now. And uh, a week before we got married, uh, my friends called me and said, Hey, Evans, we want to have a bachelor party for you. And uh, what do you want to do? And, and I, now this, I was being righteous now. And I'm ashamed of this. I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed of my testimony. Is I said, well, let's just get drunk and play poker. Let's don't do anything bad. And uh, so they said, uh, okay. So they planned a bachelor party and we got drunk and we played poker. And then here came the girls. Not good girls. And uh, that night, uh, I, I did everything I'd done for years. I mean, there was no, nothing unusual about that night, except I was about to get married, and it was my bachelor party, but I was very immoral and very, just very bad. I woke up the next morning, and, uh, you know, some people have low self-esteem or they struggle with their self-esteem. I had never had self-esteem issues. I had, very, I had too high of self-esteem. Is, you know, I thought too highly of myself. I was very confident. Um, when I woke up that morning... Something was different. And I woke up that morning and it was bothering me what I had done. Now, nothing had ever bothered me before. Um, And I woke up bothered. And I was bothered for the reason that I had violated Karen. Because she was so pure. And I thought to myself, she deserves a better husband than this. And I violated Karen. I also felt bad about God and uh, about what I had done to God. And I'd never felt bad about that before. And I looked in the mirror. That morning I woke up and I looked in the mirror and I didn't like me. It was the first time in my life. And, I, and it was like I saw dirt on me. I looked at myself and I was dirty. And I was just thinking that morning, I'm empty. After all that I did last night, I'm empty. This, isn't, this doesn't make me happy. I don't feel good about myself. I don't, I don't like my friends. I don't like having these kinds of friends. And I, and I just felt frustrated, and I felt dirty, and I felt trapped. And I, and I sat there this, that morning, and I thought about it, because I'm kind of a thinker more than I am a feeler. And I thought it through in that morning. Here's what I said to Jesus. I said, Jesus, I believe in you, and I make you the Lord of my life right now. And I'll serve you for the rest of my life, and I'll never turn back. And I'm in it, and I've never turned back. For 34 and a half years, I've served Jesus. I know when I got saved, I got saved a week before I got married. And I've served Jesus for 34 and a half years and I've never turned back. But the instant I got saved, the first thing God ever spoke to me was, don't ever see your friends again. First thing he ever said. I had 10 friends, very close friends. And we had a baseball team and I was the captain of the baseball team. And I had all the the bats and balls and bases in my trunk. And that afternoon we had practice. And so when I went to practice that afternoon, I went to practice for the purpose of giving them all the equipment and telling them that, I didn't want to do that anymore. And so I drove up to practice and all they were all there and they ran up to my car and, you know, they'd all been at my bachelor party the night before and, and they ran up to the car and they were saying, hey, Evans, wasn't last night great? And, you know, do you know all this stuff? And they were expecting me to say, oh, guys, thank you so much. You know, I appreciate, you know, you ruining my life and dragging me to hell with the rest of you, you know, and so on. But, 
you know, they, I don't know what they're expecting, but, but I, I got out of my car and I took everything out of my trunk and I laid it on the ground and I said, I don't want to be manager of the baseball team anymore, captain of the baseball team anymore. And they said, what's wrong? And I said, I didn't like last night. They said, really? What didn't you like about it? And I said, I didn't like anything about it. And I said, I've given my life to Jesus and I don't want to do this anymore. And they said, in a cursing and some things that were said, and, you know, like I was kidding and what in the world was I doing? And I said, and I'm leaving here and I'm going to go tell Karen what I've done. Well, that really sent a shockwave through them because all of our girlfriends were friends. You can figure that one out. They, they knew their girlfriends were about to find out what had happened the night before. And they said, don't do that, Evans. That's not a good idea. And I said, no, I'm going to leave here and I'm going to go tell Karen what I've done. And I'm not going to do that anymore. And I got in my car and I drove away and I never saw him again. Except for just, you know, walking down the street or, or something like that. And I went over to Karen's house and, um, you know, I was very upset about what I'd done to her. And I went over to her and I said, this is what I did last night. Well, you know, I'd been doing that stuff for years and she knew a little bit about it or didn't know a whole lot about some of it. But she slammed the door in my face and told me that she'd never marry me, you know. And so... When she slammed the door in my face and told me she'd never marry me, I went and got in my car, and um, here's what I said to the Lord. I said, what I said to you this morning was not about Karen. It has nothing to do with her or my friends. I will serve you for the rest of my life, and I'll never turn back. Regardless of whether Karen marries me, regardless of what anybody else does, this is about me and you. So I went home, and, you know, I didn't have any friends anymore, and, didn't have a girlfriend anymore, and so, you know, kind of like me and Jesus were, and, um, but I felt better, I can tell you that right now, and the Lord was in me, and I knew that, and I, I felt, I felt better about myself, and I called Karen, and she hung up on me, and I called her again, she hung up on me, you know, and that, that went on for a while, then she started hearing the stories from the other girls, from their boyfriends, about what I had done, so then she called me, she wasn't being nice, but you know, she just called me, hey. I said, well, what? She said, well, I heard that you told your friends you weren't going to see them again. I said, that's right. Why? I said, because I'm not going to live that way anymore. Why? You know, she just kind of prodded me. I didn't blame her for being really hurt. And I said, because I'm going to serve Jesus, Karen. Why? I said, well, not because of you. And I said, I love you, and I don't blame you for not marrying me, but it's not because of you. It's because what I've been doing has been wrong. I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm going to serve the Lord. So it took a couple of days. Things didn't thaw out immediately, but it took a couple of days. But finally she forgave me and told me that she would marry me. And we got married. And the, the testimony that I have is, is several fold. And one is God filled my heart. On that, I had looked for fulfillment and for significance and for something that I was missing. But Jesus came into my heart when I asked him in, and I'm telling you, 34 years later, it's the real deal. That only, only Jesus can do that. God restored our relationship, and everything that you see in me today is not me, it's Jesus Christ. I was an idiot. I was dominant, I was abusive, I was immoral, I was, I was a bad person, and I had no conscience. But Jesus Christ has transformed my life. And I absolutely know that. And I'm thankful for Karen and for, for her. I stopped seeing my friends uh, and we began a new life. And there were several things I remember the devil telling me. On the morning I woke up and I saw myself in the mirror and didn't like myself. 
there were several things that the devil told me that I remember very, very vividly that he was talking because he doesn't want you to come to Jesus. It'll ruin his plan. And he said, you'll never have any more fun. And, uh, and I, I want to say this to you for all the young people here, for anyone here that you think sin is fun. Uh, I, I want to say that serving Jesus is the most exhilarating experience in life. It is more fun than any sinful thing that I ever did. And when I look back on that life of sin, it was not fun. It was not, not nothing compared to serving Jesus. The second thing the devil told me is Christians are boring. I'm sure there are some boring Christians, but I'll just say this. In my experience, Christians are the best people on earth and they're the most faithful friends in the world. And I've had more fun with Christians than I ever had with sinful people. And I remember the devil telling me, Jimmy, you've done too much. You've gone too far. God won't forgive you because of how bad you've been. And I'll just tell you, I was really, really bad. And I remember him telling me that, but I remember those good old Baptist preachers telling me that where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. The Lord's been faithful to us for 34 years, and here's what I say to you in closing. The first is, believing in Jesus doesn't change anything or get you saved. You must make Him Lord of your life and surrender to Him. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. There's a condition there. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. I sat in Baptist churches and Baptist youth camps and in Young Life for six years. And I heard the gospel and heard the gospel and heard the gospel, but had no conscience and had no ability to change my behavior until I made Him the Lord of my life. Until I was willing to walk away from friends and walk away from a lifestyle. Until I was willing to, to make it real by making Him Lord. The second thing is nothing in this world can fill the emptiness in our hearts except for Jesus. There's a Jesus-sized hole on the inside of us. And money can't fill that hole. And sex can't fill that hole. And drugs and alcohol can't fill that hole. And people can't fill that hole. And accomplishment cannot fill that hole. It will never be filled until it is filled with Jesus Christ. Jesus says in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. And that door is the door of our hearts. He knocks on the door of our hearts. And he wants us to, to, to let him in. But we make that choice. He's not going to kick the door down. It's only by invitation that he comes in. But when he comes in, I'm telling you, what I was looking for after nights of doing everything I could think of to make myself happy and succeeding, I would lay in bed empty and lonely. But never, ever have I had that experience since I've met Jesus Christ. In fact, now there can be times in my life when people aren't around and bad things are happening, but I feel a joy and a peace in my life because Jesus is there with me laying in that bed. Jesus is real. The third thing is this. Nothing that we give up for Jesus can compare to what we get when we get Him. Paul said in Philippians 3, What things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. I remember that morning that I made Jesus the Lord of my life, and I remember sitting there thinking, if I give my life to Christ, I'll lose all my friends. I'll lose my reputation. Now, that, that might seem funny today, but, but I, was, I was popular. And I, and I was known as being cool. And I was in with the in crowd. And I remember thinking to myself, if, if I give my life to Christ, I'm losing all that. 
and uh, losing everything. And I look back on that now and I think what rubbish that was. What a lie that was. I, I couldn't have kept it anyway. But gaining Christ has meant everything to me. And I'm, I'm saying to those of you who are here right now, if you're searching in life the way I was searching in life, and you may have had an experience that, that you believe in Jesus, you've heard the gospel, that, that you love the, the Jesus in your heart, you, you love the concept of Jesus, but it's never been real to you, and there is something missing in your life right now. And you may not be like I was. You may not have been as bad as I was. But let me just tell you this. It doesn't matter how bad you are. If you don't have Jesus, you're going to hell. Until we make Jesus the Lord of our lives, our sins are not forgiven and we do not have the gift of eternal life. But when we accept Christ into our lives, He comes in and forgives us of our sins and puts us on another track in life. Let me say one more thing and I'll close. When God made you in your mother's womb, He made you for a purpose. And that purpose can never be fulfilled until you give your life to Him. The devil had a plan for my life. And his plan for my life, I believe, was for me to die of alcoholism. Or to ruin my life by living in sin, like my friends have done. But God had a plan for my life, and God's plan for me was for me to do what I'm doing right now. And for Karen and I to do what we're doing right now. But I had to give my life to Christ. I want you to know that God has a marvelous plan for your life. But that plan cannot be executed until you surrender. I want you to stand with me if you would tonight. Let me ask you to bow your head there if you would. Let me pray. Father, I pray that you would just send your Holy Spirit right now. And Jesus, you said when your Holy Spirit came, he would convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment, Lord. And that's what I pray tonight. That if anyone is here and they have not surrendered to you as the Lord of their life, I pray that tonight, the way I did that morning when I woke up, that they would feel that conviction of the Holy Spirit. And I know that many of them are, are not like I was. They're not living that kind of a life. But they're still unyielded to you in that area. Some may be, Lord, as bad or worse than I was. And tonight is the night of their salvation. And I pray, Jesus, that you would knock on the door of their hearts. And I just want you to be sensitive right now. And I want you to ask yourself a question very honestly. Has there ever been a point in time when you truly made Jesus the Lord of your life? You may have lived in church. You may have grown up in church. You may have heard the gospel. But has there ever been a point in time that you truly made Jesus the Lord of your life? I want to give you that opportunity right now. It's the most important question that any person will ever ask you in all of eternity. This question I'm about to ask you. Will you make Jesus the Lord of your life? In all of eternity, no one will ever say anything more important than that to you. Will you make Jesus the Lord of your life? I'm not asking if you believe in Him. I know you do. I'm not asking if you love Him. You probably do. I'm asking, will you change? Will you let Him become your Lord? Will you let Him make your decisions? Will you humble yourself and be willing to change? Maybe be willing to give something up that's been controlling you to this point. And I promise you this, I promise if you'll make Him the Lord of your life, I promise He'll come into your heart and fill whatever emptiness is there. I promise that He will be faithful to you and that He will love you. And if you will let Him, He'll transform your life. He'll forgive you of all of your sins and give you the gift of eternal life. If you'll confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead.